Welcome to the Attention Deficit Disorder Expert Podcast Series by Attitude Magazine. Welcome. My name is Annie Rogers, and on behalf of the Attitude team, I'd like to thank you for joining us for this ADHD Experts presentation titled Bonding Activities, Effective Practical Relationship Building Ideas for ADHD Families. As you know, a healthy parent-child relationship is critical to a child's development and to a family's well-being. But ADHD can sometimes complicate the parent-child dynamic and get in the way of those meaningful, joyful connections. In this webinar today, we'll review how the symptoms of ADHD can affect behavior and the parent-child relationship and we will leave with lots of practical ideas from conversation starters to age-appropriate board games and activities that can help cultivate those genuine positive connections while we are still all at home together. Leading today's presentation is Dr. Noreen Russell. Dr. Russell is the owner of Russell Coaching for Students, which she founded in 2009. Russell Coaching provides academic and ADHD coaching to students across the United States, Canada, and the UK. With more than 20 years of experience creating positive youth development and parenting education programs, Dr. Russell has extensive knowledge of child development, learning styles, special needs, and positive parenting philosophies. She blends this knowledge to provide students and parents with comprehensive support and the tools they need to grow and thrive. Dr. Russell has a PhD from Bowling Green State University and with a focus on psychology and education. Before I hand over the microphone to Dr. Russell, I have just a few housekeeping items. Those of you tuned into the live webinar may download the slides now by clicking on the event resources section of your webinar screen. And if you are interested in the certificate of attendance option, look for instructions in the email you will receive about an hour after the live broadcast. If you are listening in replay or podcast mode, visit attitudemag.com and search podcast 387 to access the slides, webinar replay, and the certificate of attendance option. If you support the work we're doing here at Attitude to strengthen the ADHD community, we encourage you to visit attitudemag.com slash subscribe and sign up for Attitude Magazine for your family or to share with a teacher or a loved one who could benefit from greater ADHD understanding. Finally, the sponsor of this week's webinar is Brain Balance. Brain Balance is a holistic cognitive development program designed to help kids, teens, and adults with ADHD, learning differences, anxiety, and beyond improve focus, attention, and behavior. Brain Balance creates a customized plan based on your child's needs to support the social, emotional, and academic growth. An exploratory study with Harvard's McLean Hospital found that Brain Balance program to be an effect as effective as low-dose stimulant medication in alleviating ADHD symptoms in children. Visit brainbalance.com to learn about Brain Balance today. Attitude thanks our sponsors for supporting our webinars, 
sponsorship has no influence on speaker selection or webinar content. So without further ado, I am so pleased to welcome Dr. Russell. Thank you so much for joining us today and for leading us in this very uh, practical and helpful discussion. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. This is a topic that's so near and dear to my heart as the mom of two teenagers, actually one who's 12 and one who's 13. So we're smack dab in the middle of the middle school years. But it's also born of years of watching parents and supporting parents in my practice and seeing how easy it is as a parent of a child with ADHD to get caught up in arranging therapy and advocating at school and dealing with you know challenges that their symptoms bring at home and losing the connection, which is why we had kids in the first place, right? And so at my practice where we specialize in kids who really have complex ADHD, so they have ADHD plus something else, we often will give family homework to do some of these games and activities. So it's my hope today that each one of you will walk away with three or four concrete ideas to put into place like you would if you were at our practice having a conversation with us. That's what we care about is helping you to reconnect with the teenager or the tween or the child um, that is underneath the symptoms that often dominate our, our everyday life with them. So starting today, um, I wanted to say, why is this connection so hard? We want this, right? We want family dinners and family conversations and long walks and peaceful bike rides. And we want to enjoy each other and build the connection. But if your house is anything like my house, what often happens when we sit down to dinner looks a lot more like this. Um, it starts off with silliness, perhaps a little bit of hyperactivity, and then often devolves into out-of-control behavior and parents being upset and screaming, and then someone leaving the table or getting sent to their bedroom. And that's not what our kids need, and it's not what we want. And so that's what our webinar today is about, is how do we prevent those things with a little bit of extra planning on our part as parents? So let's briefly revisit our three core symptoms of ADHD. The first is that dysregulated attention. The second is impulsivity. And the third is hyperactivity, which some kids have and some kids don't have. When it comes to how does this dysregulation of attention affect kids in terms of their ability to connect with you, to enjoy family time, to have one-on-one -on -one conversations. We can see on the left side of the slide what the behavioral manifestations of that symptom are. And then what I've provided for you are some strategies to try to help create and establish a norm that would manage those symptoms. So set a timer for the length of time your child is capable of carrying on a conversation. Extend that by a minute each week. So my point here really is start where your child's at, meet them where they're at. If your child can have a conversation for two or three minutes without having to get up and run around or devolve into silliness, that's just fine. Take those two or three minutes and don't try to force anything additional. Second, reduce external sounds. 
Find the quietest place in the house and close the doors to that room. Environment is everything, especially for our complex ADHD kids. We want to create a setting and a place that is special to relax in. One of the things that we just did at my house was to get a um, birdcage swing chair. And we often go out there and sit um, in that chair and swing um, and talk and, and try to enjoy five minutes or 15 minutes of, of parent-child time. The second strategy, the third strategy rather, is stop what you're doing and listen when your child really needs to tell you something. Rather than asking them to wait or asking them to practice patience or to delay gratification, if what you want in the next half hour is to really spend some time together, take two or three minutes, listen to what they have to say, and then you'll be able to move into whatever the planned activity is. Okay, our second core symptom. This one I think is particularly problematic when it comes to trying to have peaceful family time. This impulsivity is difficult. Um, We know that our kids with ADHD can be prone to interrupting others. They can be prone to losing their temper and saying things that they don't mean. They can be very impatient. And so here are three strategies to use proactively to manage that. First, Plan a time to connect when symptoms are most controlled. If you know that your middle school child has a good time of the day, then go for that time of day, right? Don't try to push connection into a time of day where people are stressed out or they're thinking about their homework or they're tired or hungry or angry or lonely, right? Find the time that works for your child or your teen. Um, second strategy here is empathize, empower, and affirm, right? And so this is your connection time. This isn't a time to teach emotional regulation or to talk about, you know, what your family values are about whatever's making the child mad. It's okay to just simply empathize. I feel it's hard to feel so mad to empower what's best for you right now. What do you need? And then to affirm, you know what? We all get mad sometimes. I get mad. Dad gets mad, grandma gets mad. And so those three steps, I think, are a really good tool to keep in mind when the impulsivity is causing some emotional distress and dysregulation. And then for impatience, recognize your child's effort to be patient, even when they seem minimal to you. I know as a mom of two kids with ADHD, I feel like my kids were never going to develop the level of patience that I wanted them to have. And so I had to really start to recognize how to meet them where they were at with their efforts. Um, And so words like, you are so ready to get started, and yet here you are waiting for me to get the snacks. Great job. I appreciate you. And our third core symptom, which we're all familiar with from ADHD, is this hyperactivity. Can't sit still. So one of the things that you're going to want to do as the parent who wants to build connection is to choose activities that fit the child's activity level. Um, We have a family member who loves to read books. Reading is her jam. Well, my kids also love to read, but not as much as this family member does. And so she has had to learn to adjust to what are the kids in the mood for, right? What are some other activities that they enjoy doing? And again, this goes back to time of day and what does the child need or want at the time of day? Can't stop talking. Ask for permission to set the timer. How about we set the timer for five minutes and you have a chance to say anything that you want to tell me, anything that's on your mind 
during those five minutes. And then we're going to move on to what we talked about doing today. And then, of course, we all have children, especially the younger ones who can just feel so restless. And I think that our older ones do too, our tweens and our teens, but it manifests differently. And the importance of physical touch is just so critical to remember and understand, even when they get to those prickly middle school years and they seem aloof in high school, that when you can find the right time to touch, to offer a little you know, bit of a deep hug or some shoulder massage, this is a great way to calm that symptom down. Okay, so we've reviewed our three core symptoms of ADHD and offered some strategies for how do we manage those. And now, just a reminder, and, and we say this at my practice a lot, is what and who is your ADHD child, right? So most of the time, over two-thirds of the time, we're not talking about kids who only have ADHD. We're talking about kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers, who also have an additional diagnosis. And so what is the profile of your ADHD child? Some are very emotionally dysregulated. Some have anxiety or depression. Many also have autism. They may process things slowly. They may have poor working memory. And so one of the things that I think is so important as a professional who works with families with ADHD is to really identify what is the profile of your ADHD kid or teenager? Okay, let's talk about bonding activities and let's talk about how we make them developmentally appropriate, right? It's so easy to look at, for example, our teenagers and think, wow, there's a young man there. I know my own son is 13 and a half right now and I find myself really being conscious of how in between adulthood and childhood he is. You know, one day, actually one moment, um, he might be screaming and crying about something, um, a broken Lego set or something. And then the next day he's coming out to the car to help me carry in groceries and say, mom, it looks like you've had a hard day. And so development for kids in general, and particularly for our kids with ADHD, and especially so for our complex ADHD kids, age does not equal developmental stage. And I think it's fairly well established in the literature that we need to allow for up to a 30% delay for kids with ADHD. And so I think this is an important message to link to our information later in the webinar in terms of what do you choose to do with your middle schooler or high schooler and where are they really at developmentally? And keeping in mind that there are lots of different kinds of development. I know that, you know, there are kids who are incredibly advanced when it comes to language development, but then emotionally, their ability to express how they're feeling is much more delayed. We recently had a student in our practice whose therapist um, asked us for some recommendations on working with him because she said his coping skills were much more like that of an elementary school student than of an upper middle school student. And so that was an interesting reminder to me that even our kids who are bright or doing well at school or physically coordinated or excelling at sports, the development is asynchronous. Okay, so let's move on to our first connection strategy, and that is conversation. Pure and simple, 
conversation, connecting through conversation. And we're going to approach this from a developmental point of view. So if you have a child who is in K-5 or K-6, these are some of the suggested conversations that we recommend frequently um, for parents at our practice and that I think in general are just great whether your student has ADHD or not. So the first one is silly would you rather questions. And these are so easy to make up on the spur of the moment, even when we're in the car or we're tired or it's bedtime. And some of my examples are, would you rather only ever have ice cream or cake for dessert? Would you rather have a snake or a mouse under your bed? Would you rather go back in time or go forward in time? Would you rather spend a day in a jail cell or a day in the hospital? Would you rather be a lot smarter or live a lot longer? Would you rather be a cat or a dog? Would you rather live next to a garbage dump or a pigsty? Swim in jello or chocolate sauce? And what I love about this is how open-ended and creative it is. And you can invite your child to play back and forth with you, right? So let's play Would You Rather. Maybe you're in the car on the way home from a sports practice or even on your way home from school or on your way to do Saturday errands. I'll start. And you can ask them. And you know what your child is interested in. And so you can also tailor the questions to that. The purpose of these kinds of questions is really just to recapture some fun, some laughter, some lightness. It's a, These are great questions to relieve stress. Um, and what I love about this is that often these will, these kinds of questions will lead to the creation of inside jokes. I have a student that I worked with several years ago at my practice, and her question was always, would you rather have a banana or fill in the blank. And so then it became sort of a, a running joke, like, would you rather have a banana or do your math homework? Um, and I love that. That builds connection and it's easy and it's light and it's fun. My second recommendation for childhood conversations are imaginary questions along the lines of, if you could. If you could change one thing about our neighborhood, what would it be? My daughter's answer to this would be, everyone would have a cat. My son's answer would be, everyone would have a dog. If you could go anywhere in the world to live for a year, where would you go? If you could make sure one animal never goes extinct, what would it be? If you could prevent one kind of natural disaster, what would it be and why? We're very obsessed with the weather at my house, and I find that to be not atypical of the students we work with at my practice as well. If you could have superpowers, what would they be? And these questions sometimes um, can go a little bit deeper than the would you rather questions. They help kids to practice values, think critically, practice creative thinking. And you're doing that in the context of just a light, funny, hypothetical conversation. And these are nice ones because you can ask your child, maybe they'll ask you back, maybe you just answer the question. But once you establish this kind of question as just a normal conversation to have on a walk or in the car or at bedtime, what my experience is and that of the families we work with is that they really begin to look forward to it. It becomes a ritual and those rituals really solidify our connection. 
middle school conversations. Here's where we start to put our toes near the landmines, right? We know this. And and we know that that's very real, that the sense of self-consciousness and the heightened emotions and the heightened hormones are very real. The most important thing to take away from this webinar when it comes to middle schoolers is really finely hone your parenting instincts on picking up clues from your middle schooler on how they are feeling in that moment. And the way that this relates to the conversation questions is it's always better and safer and easier for your middle schooler to answer general questions about the world, about school, about other people. What really can set up some anxiety or insecurity or defensiveness are questions that are specific to themselves. And so my recommendations here are to really be thinking about what kind of question are you asking and always start with general questions first. So let's take a look at some examples of what general questions are. These are safe questions about what's going on around your middle schooler. They're not about what's going on inside them or why they did something. So here are some examples. How do you think most middle schoolers choose friends? What do you think is most important to the other kids in your grade? What's the hardest thing about middle school? What do you think kids want more of at school? What's the worst thing that can happen in middle school? What's the best thing that can happen in middle school? And again, these are questions that you're keeping general, not specific to your child. And the purpose of these questions is to open up safe dialogues, to reflect on the social climate at school, maybe in their friendship group. This is important also. These questions take some time to answer. And in using those questions, we really build the habit of comfortable silence. We establish that it's okay to stop and think, that it's okay to say, I don't know, I've never thought about that, or just, I don't know, right? That's okay. It's okay to spend some time thinking in silence. It's okay to not have an answer to a question. The other thing that these kinds of questions do is they really keep communication open and safe about what your middle schooler is seeing around them. It won't be as if you've never talked about it if that day, for example, one of your middle schooler's friends gets called down to the principal's office because a vape pen was found in their backpack, right? You'll have had conversations like that before this. I know from my own middle schooler, we had our very first middle school sleepover and I had this realization of, oh, oh, we're having middle school sleepovers. And so we had some preliminary conversation with my daughter about what can be different about middle school sleepovers versus elementary school. I didn't ask her anything specific, um, but we did just generally broach the topic. And it normalizes the fact that in our family, we talk about those things and we are safe and, and we maybe don't know everything that's going on, but we, we want to listen and, and we respect your reality. Now, time for the landmine type of questions. If you ask a more personal question and your middle schooler gets super emotional or super defensive, this is the time to really keep 
you're cool because what's happening here, obviously, is that you've hit some kind of nerve that probably you do need to have some conversation about, but that it's raw right now. And that can happen from a very rational point of view, or it can happen from kind of an irrational point of view. It doesn't matter. So from a connection point of view, which is what we're talking about today, you want to ask these deeper, more personal questions at a time when you feel your middle schooler feels safe, that you can feel the connection between the two of you, that they've not just come off a stressful day at school or an argument with another family member. And these are some questions you can use that are more specific to your middle school student. Which friends do you wish you could see more of? What's the most disappointing thing that's happened this week? What do you wish was different about your school? What's your favorite place to relax and who's your favorite person to relax with? And these questions are different from our general ones because what they do is really build more self-awareness on the part of the middle schooler and it gives you a lens into what is their experience like? What are some of their inner thoughts? You're going to learn things in these conversations that your middle schooler may never think to share with you if you weren't asking the right questions. I'm in the midst of writing a book right now, and it's called Asking the Right Questions About ADHD. And I think these are the kinds of questions that we need to be using effectively with our kids with ADHD, no matter what their age is and no matter how complex they are. But when we ask questions, it sends that message, you're valuable. Um, and it allows for um, deeper conversations to surface when they have to. Don't worry about having the perfect question or the perfect conversation. Just keep looking for good questions. All right, let's go on and talk about questions with our high school students. So these I tend to divide up into two useful categories. Questions about the present. What's on your mind? What would you like to talk about? What's the real problem here? What options do you see? Are there one or two options that seem best? What do you want? This is maybe the most powerful question, I think, for our high schoolers. And how can you get there? And they are at such a time, right, where they're thinking about what their options are. And many of our teenagers are in pressure cooker situations and they don't yet feel they have things figured out. And so someone who just listens to, what do you think you want? You know, what's important to you today about the future? What do you think you might like to do? What do you think you might not like to do? Just simply showing your interest and don't worry too much about how you phrase the question. The, fr the question can be phrased any number of ways. You'll get better at it the more practice you have. And the purpose here is that you're beginning to act as a coach, right? You're beginning to become an advisor. Your high schooler is right in the middle of those tween years and adulthood. And because they have ADHD, True adulthood and maturity might be a little bit delayed for them, but you want to establish yourself as someone who can be a coach and an advisor for your student. You want to help them learn how to problem solve, right? You want to be that inner voice that isn't, why do you always do this wrong? You were never motivated to try hard and rather to say, what do you want and how can you get there? That's what you want your inner voice in your teenager's head to be. 
And by doing this, by asking these questions that are grounded in the present, you really are starting to prepare them for the challenges of young adulthood and and really for the challenges of all of adulthood. The other set of questions that I think can be super valuable for our high school students is questions about the future. And I think that because this can be a touchy subject, it's something that um, we often might want to consider using when we know that our high schooler isn't stressed or they're not under the gun when it comes to a homework deadline or haven't had a fight with another family member. And sometimes it's really just setting the expectation, I'd like to have a conversation with you sometime about this. And maybe sometime isn't right now. And then being a little bit persistent. We have a a mother-daughter at our practice right now who were supposed to have a conversation about the future last night. And the daughter really started to feel anxious about it and avoided the conversation. And they reconnected this morning. And now they've decided that instead of having the conversation at home, they're going to go out to dinner to have the conversation. So they have something to look forward to. They have some structure. They have a reservation for seven o'clock tonight for dinner. And I thought, what a beautiful way to recover from the disappointment of really anxiety taking over that conversation about the future. And are you going to college? And are you going away to college? Um, It was just lovely to see. When's a good time for us to talk about college applications? What do you think will be most challenging about life after high school? And again, you're simply asking these to be curious and to facilitate their thinking process, right? It's not like you're grilling them and you have to make sure that your tone matches that, that your tone is curious, right? That it's not demanding or judgmental. And sometimes, quite honestly, when we're in the middle of our own stress or we really are concerned about are the college applications getting in, are the job applications getting in, it can be hard to shift our tone. But here again, practice makes perfect. Okay, here are some tips on after you ask a question, things to do and things not to do. First of all, after you ask a question, breathe. You might not be used to using questions as a way to connect, and that's okay. Most of us are used to talking, right? Our kids start to talk, we talk back. We don't go deeper. We don't listen. We don't ask questions. So reward yourself. Take a breath. Tell yourself, good job, mom. Good job, dad. Um reflect what they have to say. Middle schoolers want more freedom. Go deeper. And what else? Try an interpretation. That really sounds like it could be frustrating. You don't necessarily have to agree, right, to be empathic. And I think that's an important takeaway from today. You don't have to agree with anything that your teenager is saying in order to be empathic and to reflect that back to them. And then I think number five is particularly important express to them with words how important it is to you that they shared whatever they shared, whether it's, mom, this is really uncomfortable and I don't want to have this conversation or why are you asking me this? You know, okay, thanks for being honest with me. I do really appreciate it. You might feel foolish in the moment, but I guarantee you that as you get in the habit of expressing that gratitude, it's going to come to mean something really significant to your middle school or high schooler. And then lastly, don't forget our nonverbals, right? Um, For those of us who have more um, stern or mean looking faces naturally, um, it's really important, again, to cultivate that look of listening and to 
project to your teenager, you know what? You're worth listening to. I'm not doing anything else right now. I'm not preoccupied. And quite honestly, even taking five or 10 or 15 minutes to do that pays off so big that you too will begin to look forward to it. What you should not do after you ask questions is panic and start thinking, oh my God, my child's in a terrible situation. Oh my God, my child needs to rescue, um, to be rescued by me. Oh my gosh, my student can't handle this, right? Don't go there. Your child has shared something with you. Sit, reflect it back to them and let them process that. You do not need to jump in rescue, give advice, and certainly you don't need to make it okay with any kind of toxic positivity, right? We are all guilty of these things at times, but it's so important that you in your own self cultivate just reflecting, just reflect what they have to say. That's what makes people feel heard and valued and loved. And that is what's going to feed your connection, right? It's not the advice that you give. That's not going to feed the connection. In fact, that's going to create disconnection most of the time with your middle or high schoolers. Don't start sharing your experience. Don't say anything that conveys that you already knew that or you already thought that or, well, I was right. Yeah, I figured you were upset about that. Don't use their words to make your point and don't seem disengaged or uninterested. If there's an actual true crisis that has to be handled in that moment, apologize and say, I have to go handle this. I'm going to be back as soon as I can. Okay, let's move on to our second strategy for today, which is child or teen-led time. So we've talked about conversation, and now we're going to talk about child or teen-led time. And the strategy here is actually very simple. The idea of child or teen-led time is that you choose as the parent or the grandparent or the aunt or the mentor how much time you have to spend with the child on some kind of regular basis. I, you know, think we have to decide that on the basis of what our schedule is and what our child needs. You know, kids need different amounts of this kind of intimacy in order to really thrive and to feel connected. And you may need different amounts of this um, than your child to feel connected um, and happy and in relationship. But the basic premise is you get to decide how much time you have. Okay, I have 20 minutes before I have to make dinner or empty the dishwasher or go work out. What do you want to do? So you decide how much time and your child gets to decide how they want to spend that time. And again, this isn't going to feel natural in the beginning because you haven't been doing it. But the more you do it, the more even your teenager will come to love this time. Hey, I have 20 minutes. Want to hang out? Show me the latest TikTok video, right? And consciously setting aside 15, 20 minutes. We don't have to turn connection into something that takes an entire day or that we have to take off an entire week of work for, right? You can establish connection in five or 10 minutes a day. Okay, child-led time. This is again led by the child, but I did want to offer some suggestions in case you have um, a kiddo who, who can't think of things. This was one of my favorite things to do when my son was younger is he had all these tubs of Legos that were from different sets and we would just both get a scoop and we'd have like five minutes or 10 minutes to build something from the scoop of Legos from the bin. And um, we called it a contest, but it wasn't really a contest in the sense of somebody won and somebody lost. And often we would exchange pieces or be like, oh, that's cool. What are you building? And so just that open-ended, 
creative, collaborative. We have no goal, no agenda. That's what child-led time is, is all about. Um, sidewalk chalk. This is absolutely, as a mom, one of my favorites with my daughter. And I discovered it by accident looking through Pinterest or Facebook or something. But, you know, I'm kind of an in-the-box thinker. I'm not a creative mom. And I always thought of hopscotch as just your basic 12 squares. Well, there are all of these really creative hopscotch ideas. And so some of them are you know, to take a twirl here or sing a song or do a dance step. And so if you Google hopscotch for kids or drawing your own hopscotch, you'll see all the creative ideas. And my daughter went through a a phase of probably a year or so where that was all she wanted to do with our time together. Mom, let's go do hopscotch. Um, And it really was, it was fun. It was creative. It was artistic. And, and it was easy, right? It did not take my entire Saturday to go do a hopscotch with her. Try a new recipe. I love this. My kids do not enjoy cooking, but I wish that they did. Um, I'm a huge fan of just get a kid's cookbook and work through it or find things on you know the web and, and ask them, hey, find a recipe. Let's learn how to make that this weekend. Um, and then my last suggestion for kids is, Each of you have your own coloring book. Um, You know, there's so many great coloring books out there. And um, I know, you know, that was a fad from 10 years ago or so, but they're still pretty widely available and it truly is relaxing. So those are some ideas for child-led time. Let's take a look at teen-led time, right? So developmentally, they're shifting into middle school here. Um, And so we want to shift any suggestions we might make or shift our own expectations as to what they might want to do. If you say, hey, I have 15 minutes, like, what do you want to do? Let's hang out. Um, so showing YouTube videos, um, TikTok videos. Honestly, it will mean the world to your middle schooler for you to sit and watch silly, ridiculous TikTok videos for 15 minutes. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to care about the TikTok videos. You don't have to commit to making your own TikTok, although I would dearly love it if my own family would make a TikTok. But Honestly, sitting there and laughing and looking at how goofy it is, is connection. Um, I had a student in my office yesterday who wanted to show me, I forget what silly video it was, but it was about, you know, some show where people were trying to make other people laugh and, and showing me and laughing together, she ended up saying that was really what I needed after my day at school. And so it wasn't deeper than that. It wasn't more complicated. It was really just sitting and laughing together. Um, bullet point three is about volunteerism, which can be right up certain kids alley. You know, if you have a kid who cares passionately about beach cleanup or animals or the homeless, this is a great teen led activity. Um, and then last, if you have a kid who's obsessed with the current interest, go there, deep dive into it during your time together. Okay. Let's talk about teen led time. And then we're going to move on to strategy number three. So again, the team gets to decide, but these are some ideas. Plan a fantasy vacation or a real weekend getaway. Choose a show to binge watch. Make copycat recipes from their favorite restaurants, right? Everyone's got one, that thing that you're like, oh, let's go there. I'm in the mood for their whatever dish. Learn their favorite video game and play for 15 minutes. Ask them to show you their favorite sports plays from previous games, um, either theirs or professional national teams. Hang out in their room. Just go knock on their door. Go in there, lay on the bed, 
let them get used to you being in their space. See what happens organically. And then ask for their advice on a problem or work challenge you have. This turns the tables a little bit and really shows them how much respect you have for them. So those are just some ideas for teen-led time. But this is your second strategy after conversations and questions is teen-led time. Third, today we're going to talk about connecting through activities and games. And this section is incredibly practical. What I've pulled together are suggestions and recommendations for choosing games, learning games, using games, and what not to do. Um, So let's start with what are our tips for success if it's game time? First and foremost, make sure that you are in the right space, right? If your child says, hey, can we play Monopoly? And you know you don't have 90 minutes or two hours, say to them, you know what? I can't play Monopoly right now, but let's make sure we get to that. I think we'll have time on Saturday to play Monopoly. Do you want to put that on the list for this weekend, right? Make sure you're in a time and space where it's good for you. Um, Say to your child, tell them how important they are. You know, some of our kids are not great at reading the social cues. I'm going to put my phone down. In fact, I'm going to go put my phone in my bedroom so that you know this is our time together. And that makes them feel so loved and so safe and so cared for. And that increases your connection, which is what this webinar is all about. And then again, check your nonverbals. What is it that you're saying with your face and your body language? Tips for choosing games. So I am just a huge fan of games that are easy to learn, that are novel, and that you can play in 5, 10, 15 minutes. So I know there are families out there that love these super complicated games and and they love things like Dungeons and Dragons. At my house, that doesn't fly. And with most of the students that I work with who have complex ADHD, we need things that are easy to learn and that the payoff is pretty quick, right? You can get through the game. You can see who wins, who loses. You can learn a new strategy. And so I'm just a huge fan of short, quick, fun games. Find the right level of challenge for your family. Um, And when you get to the tween and teen stage, find something that has a little element of daring and risk to it. Um, So those are the tips for choosing games. Now let's actually take a look at some games that I recommend for our different stages of life. So we all have the basics, right? Everyone has Candyland, everyone has Operation, everyone has Sorry. I tried to bring you today some things that you might not already have on your shelf. So the Ring It game is a lot of fun. And it, interestingly, because our practice focuses on executive functioning, teaches impulse control, but it will just make you laugh out loud because there are different cards. And as they come up, you have to shout the answer. But before you shout the answer, you have to clap or ring the bell. And so I love these games that have some aspect of physicality to them so that you're making use of that energy. Um, Tic-tac-toe is like vertical um, tic-tac-toe. And so you know, kids kind of outgrow tic-tac-toe, but tic-tac-toe really challenges them to think. And for your kids who love building or Legos or are really good with their hands, this sort of 3D building of tic-tac-toe is super fun. Newton is one that we love. Again, it's a more advanced version of Connect Four. And so in terms of helping your elementary school 
children learn these games, you can say, do you remember how we used to play Connect Four? Well, this is sort of like a more advanced Connect Four so that it's easy to teach them so you can get to the fun part, the playing part, and you're not reading directions for the whole 15 minutes. And then Train of Thought is a fun conversation game um, that will really, again, just make you laugh, which you can see I'm a huge proponent of. Other childhood activities and games that I love, um, Found It, which is a scavenger hunt game. What I love about this is it plays to the strength that many kids with ADHD have of creative thinking. So a scavenger hunt where you have to go find something soft, go find one of mom's favorite things, go find something red. It's not a right or a wrong thing. Your child isn't going to feel on the spot or as if they are winning or losing. And I love that part of it is it's just creativity. Gravity Maze is a little bit popular. That's one you may have already, but this is really for your budding engineers, for kids who like to figure things out, puzzle through them. Um, Suspend is probably the most popular thing I have on here. And um, again, I love that it's three-dimensional. It's hands-on. You're doing something. And so in Suspend, you're building this um, tower out of metal sticks, um, and then eventually the whole thing falls down, and you laugh, and you start over. Perfection is a very old game, but it cannot help but make you laugh. You have like 90 seconds to put these little plastic toys into the matching shapes on the board. And then after 60 or 90 seconds, the whole thing pops up. Um, and so you get your score based on how many you got in before the timer goes off. And again, just silly, silly laughter games, which I think is what it's all about in childhood. And especially given what's been going on in the last couple of years in the pandemic and just really losing some sense of lightness in our everyday world. I think childhood, and even as we get to middle and, and high school, fun is the name of the game. Okay, tween activities and games. These are some of the ones I recommend. If you can find a copy of Tapple, which is a, a board game, buy it. It is so much fun. Again, what I love is there is no right or wrong answer in Tapple. It's creative. Your kids with ADHD can think outside the box. Nobody gets anxious about not having the right answer. I love it. Um, Go Find It is another version of Scavenger Hunt that is great for middle school. And then the second slide for tweens is this game called Spot It, which some of you may be familiar with. But what I love about Spot It is our kids can often have these things that they are obsessed with, these interests that they love, you know, go deep diving into these interests that they have. And what I love about Spotted is they have, you know, and, and it has made them a lot of money, but they have developed different versions of the basic Spotted game that are catering to these different interests. So you'll see there's a Star Wars Spotted, um, there's a Marvel Spotted, there's Baseball Spotted. And this is a super easy game to learn. You can learn this in less than 60 seconds and it takes less than five minutes to play. So this is a great one even to say, hey, once you have the table set, you can play a game of spot it at the table. Or this is a quick one for, oh, we happen to be ready for school, but the bus isn't coming for another seven minutes. Spot it is quick, it's easy, it's portable, and there are lots of different versions to cater to different interests. Okay, let's take a look at teen activities and games. I have to say that we are, along with, I think, 
tens of thousands of, of families, huge fans of Taco Cat goat cheese pizza. And so if you don't have this and you have teenagers, go buy this one today. It is awesome. Super easy to learn. And again, light, funny, and it has that element of suspense or risk where the tension is building and then the round comes to an end. And I like that for teenage things. I think it keeps them engaged. It feels fun. It has a little bit of suspense to it. Blockus is a great strategy game. And again, for your Lego heads um, is a great option. Um, it's not Lego, but it's a little bit like Lego in the sense of its building and um, the colors just remind me of Lego. And then Rock Me Archimedes is a strategy game that again has this risk component that I think is really good. More teen activities and games. Um, Flash is a great one. And again, something simple to do in about five, maybe seven minutes. Um, left, center, right is a pretty popular one. Some of you may have that already, but there's some bidding and betting that goes on there, which I think, again, kind of, if you'll allow me, ups the ante a little bit, um, which is fun with the teenagers because their brains are wired to like things that have a little bit of risk to them. And I guess overall, what I would say about choosing games is, you know, find several things, right? Go into the store, go on the website of, you know, the mass marketers, you know what stores I'm talking about and, and see, you know, what looks interesting and, and have some options for family game night or parent-child game night. These are my takeaway messages from the day. First, make sure that you factor in your child's developmental age. If you have an 11-year-old who has the coping mechanisms or coping strategies of a six-year-old, choose something that isn't going to tax them when it's connection time. Begin the activity with the purpose in mind. You're trying to connect. This isn't a time to teach or to discipline. You're trying to connect. You're trying to build positive feelings. Listening for connection is different than mutual talking during a conversation. The minute that door opens, especially with those middle school and high schoolers, don't start talking. Close your mouth, listen, make eye contact and nod and say, and what else? Tell me more. That's interesting. Child-led or teen-led time is not your time to be in control. Just a little reminder of that. And then my last tip of the day, um, takeaway message is don't let groans dissuade you from games until your family is really in the habit of playing games or they have that positive association with games. They may groan every time you say, hey, let's play a quick game of Spot It um, before dinner. But ultimately, even in my family where my kids are a little bit explosive and difficult, they have come to truly love family game time. And, and sometimes we'll do it one parent with one child. Sometimes we'll do two parents with one child. Sometimes all four of us will sit down. But don't let groans dissuade you from games. And on that note, we are done with my three concrete strategies, which is communication, child-led time, and activities and games. And I believe that I get to open things up for questions. Yes, Dr. Russell, thank you so much for that uh, presentation. I will dive right into questions. First, I want to take a quick moment to thank again our sponsor, Brain Balance, for sponsoring today's webinar. The number one question I would say is among 
parents of teenagers, one of whom wrote that my teen leaves the room when I walk in. Uh, it seems to be a universal challenge of uh, or a question, how to engage teenagers who want nothing to do with us. Yeah, yeah. That's a tough one and it's painful, right? And so I think, first of all, we have to sort of create some space for our feelings about that. It's tough to feel rejected. Um, and then from a practical point of view, I think that there are two strategies. First, keep trying, right? Don't let their attitude dissuade you. You're the adult, you're the parent, you know that they need you. One of the things that we know is that parents are far more important than peers, even during these teenage years. So keep at it, keep going. And then I think the second strategy is ask them, hey, you know, what would you like to do? Um, you know, I have half a day on Saturday or, you know, we could go away this weekend, but give them some sense of control and predictability about it. You might not be able to rush that conversation in the moment or make it happen in the moment, but engage them in planning it. What would you like to do? And then I also think that spending time in their room, go knock on the door, go in, sit on the bed, um, hang out a little bit can be useful. Nothing's going to work all the time. So persistence is your number one strategy. It's tough, tough medicine, but I think you're right. Um, another question that kind of struck, it hit home for me was, you know, so much of our lives as parents, um, especially children, parents of children with ADHD is reminding and nagging, keeping them on track, which gets in the way of these connections. And parents are wondering if you have advice for finding opportunities or making room to connect with your child when all of the daily to-dos are sort of hanging over your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's hard, right? That's hard. And, and those are very real to-dos. You know, homework has to get done. Laundry has to get put away. Somebody needs to eat something at some point before they take a shower and go to bed. So those are real things. What I would say is, Remind yourself that this only needs to take five or 10 minutes, right? This isn't about setting aside an entire Thursday evening to do five board games or to learn a new board game. This connection moment can really take as little as two minutes. And I know for me, you know, mine are just at that cusp of becoming teenagers. And so when they come to me and they want a hug or they want to talk, I have to use a lot of self talk to say, this is more important than the dishwasher or the laundry or replying to emails. Because if you're not here now, they're not gonna want you here later. And so I think the self-talk message is take the five or 10 minutes because ultimately you can still get all those other things done. And if you really wanna be efficient about it, you'll probably get those things done easier and faster and better if you take the time to connect first, you might be more likely to get cooperation and a positive attitude. So I know for me as a busy person, you know, I've got a busy practice. I've got, you know, two atypical kids. I have to really tell myself it's worth taking the time. Stop right here and now. And, and you don't have to make time in some way. You don't have to, you know, have an hour. You can have five or 10 minutes. Right. And 
as you know, as we all know, that ADHD is largely genetic. Lots of parents out there with ADHD themselves who are looking for ideas for how to focus more wholly and intently on the activities with their children. You mentioned earlier leaving your phone upstairs or in in another room. Um, Can you offer any other tips for parents who want to engage and find it difficult? Yep. So I think that one is an important conscious habit to say, I'm putting the phone away. Turn the ringer off, turn the buzzing off. We've even had to, um, my husband wears um, one of those um, Apple watches and I'm like, please don't bring that to the dinner table. Like, I don't want to hear it buzzing. I don't want to see you looking at the Apple watch, like take it off, leave it alone. Um, So I think that's an important one for those of us who wear, you know, smart watches is to put those away. Um, And then, you know, I honestly do think something that can be helpful is just one quick moment of mindfulness. What do I want right now? I want to be a parent. I want to connect with my kid. And so I'm going to be in this moment for the next five minutes. So a little bit of, of mindfulness before, before you begin. And then reminding yourself, all that other stuff is always going to be there. You're never going to get all the laundry done, all the work done, you know, all the cleaning up done, all the garage organizing, but you can make a difference right here and now. And so that self-talk combined with just a little bit of reflection, I think can put you in the right space to be present. That's great advice. I feel like I need to put that on a sign and hang it somewhere. Um, uh, I know that I am the mother of a very competitive child for whom some games are quite problematic because they end in, um, disappointment not taken well. So for those children who who are not who who must win every time and for whom losing becomes a, a meltdown and worse. Um mm-hmm. I, I we have personally found the game Telestrations to be very um successful in part because it is sort of a cooperative game. Maybe you have some other suggestions for those kids who are uber competitive. Um yeah. yes. <laughs> Yes. So I think one prevention here is what's the discussion before game time, right? And again, going back to what's your purpose? If the purpose is to have everyone together and to have a, you know, scrabble off where, you know, it's really, we're going to play Monopoly to the death. That's different. But connection is a purpose where you might not want to choose the game where you know it's likely to end in a meltdown over who lost or who won or he cheated or she cheated or any of that. So I think being purposeful in what the activity is when you want to connect is different from having sort of what I would call regular game night. Then I think the second piece is some amount of discussion ahead of time, the prevention, right? So this is a game where we tend to, as a family, get really caught up in, you know, was that a fair answer? Was that a right answer? Especially when there's judging, those judging games where it's like the family gets to decide or the majority gets to decide who had the funniest meme or something. Those send us over the edge. So to have a prevention conversation ahead of time, like remember that we're not on the sports field and that no one's paying you a million dollars to win this game. And so along with having fun, we're also going to practice just being flexible and maybe offering a little grace and encouraging others. 
Is that going to prevent every problem? No, it's absolutely not. We know that. But establishing that as the norm and especially establishing it consistently before you begin a game that's likely to bring out a lot of competition, I think does change the tone over time. And if somebody gets super crazy upset, I think that's an opportunity for family collaborative solving. Okay, so this is a game where generally speaking, at least one person leaves the table and goes and punches the wall or starts crying or refuses to come out for dinner. Is this a game we want to choose to play this afternoon, right? So I'm open to it, but I want to make sure that we make a choice as a family about how we want to spend our time. Because I just remember a lot of times when we've played this game and it's ended badly. That is great advice. And we are unfortunately out of time. I did want to end just repeating a note I made, something that really hit home from today's conversation. You don't have to agree to be empathic. I just love that note and I wanted to come back to it. And thank you, Dr. Russell, for leading this um, enlightening and also very useful conversation today. It was very helpful. And I want to thank our viewers as well for joining us today. We hope that you will uh, register and join us for more Attitude webinars to make sure that you don't miss any future Attitude webinars or articles or research updates. Please sign up for our free newsletters. You can find them at attitudemag.com slash newsletters. If you are listening in replay or podcast mode, visit attitudemag.com and search podcast 387 to access the slides, webinar replay, and the certificate of attendance option. If you support the work we're doing here at Attitude to strengthen the ADHD community, we encourage you to visit attitudemag.com slash subscribe and sign up for Attitude Magazine for your family or to share with a teacher or a loved one who could benefit from greater ADHD understanding. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Russell, and we hope to see everyone again soon. For more Attitude podcasts and information on living well with attention deficit, visit attitudemag.com. That's A-D-D-I-T-U-D-E-M-A-G.com.